for me, it's humanizing a lot of website and application interactions and just trying to kind of gain to the meat of what users really want from something. friends and welcome to The Block, the building, learning, and organizational culture podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Kirby. On today's episode, I talked to my friend, Mark Hoffman, about how his career in L&D is about to make a slight sidestep into the world of user experience design. L&D and user experience design or UX design share a lot of similar elements, and I think you'll find this episode particularly interesting. Hey, Mark, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Heidi? Good. So let's just jump right in. Why don't you tell me a little bit about you and how you ended up in L&D? Sure. Uh, my name is Mark Hoffman. Um, I'm currently an instructional designer with a uh, hospital in Northeast Ohio. Um, I originally had started out as a high school teacher um, and spent a year over in Korea, came back, went back into high school education, um, moved up to the uh, Akron area. And anyone who's a teacher knows that teachers stay there until they retire typically. So there weren't a ton of social studies jobs. And I was just reading a position at this organization. I was like, I think I might be qualified for this. Maybe got hired, thankfully, and uh, found out I'd like it and pretty okay at it. So my, my journey into instructional design um, was a complete and total accident, um, but it's a good one <laughs> that I'm okay with the way everything ended up. So um, found out I really like it, um, and I've been sort of chugging along for the last uh, three years uh, as a learning development professional. Awesome. That's great. I think for most people, it's an accident, right? Yeah. I always say that, like, you know, of all the things that all the little kindergartners say that they want to be when they grow up, instructional designers never on the list, oddly yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's such an ambiguous thing for a lot of people. Like when I told people what I was going to be doing, like, so what does that mean? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it was kind of my response. I'm like, I, I'll let you know. <laughs> right. Or you get the people who are like, oh, you should come to my house because I definitely need help with decorating. And you're like, no, no, that's not. <laughs> yep. No, not interior design. Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah, right. correct. <laughs> and yeah. then there's my my mom who I, I love my mom, but like she like tells people that I was like uh, creating training manuals for mm-hmm. NASA when I worked that. for NASA. I'm like, mom, what is that? Like, what is the training manual? Manual? What do you think this even is? <laughs> yeah, I I will have so many people since I'm in the medical field be like, but you didn't go to med school. Oh, like, yeah. I was like, yeah, no, I'm not diagnosing. I'm literally, I'm like a time saving, cost saving, systems training guru. Like, I I'm not yeah, teaching any doctor anything. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. Very cool. Yeah. It took three years, you know? <laughs> right. It does. It takes time to like find your way that like the most people understand it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people will do like the, you know, that boring compliance training that you take when you start at companies. I make that. Yeah. I try I've not had... to. I try not to do that one. <laughs> I, when I explain, when I have like doctor's appointments, I explain what I do. I definitely see a sort of set 
happened <laughs> to the nurse's eyes. Like, so you made that thing. I was like, oh no, I didn't make that one, but probably a different one you did. Maybe. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. The good one. I, yeah, the I did good the one. good one. I did the, the one, one you, that you really liked. <laughs> Which one did you like most? That one. That one that was one. mine. Oh, how funny. That was mine. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. But recently, you've decided to take a bit of a sidestep and pursue further education in what I like to call a cousin of instructional design. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so for a number of years, I've been interested in IT. Um, and my my dad and my brother are both software developers. And I had tried a couple times to get into software development. And my brain is just not that in a lot of different ways. Um, it just wasn't fulfilling. But then I had um, a, my wife and a couple friends that told me about user experience design, um, which not only does it have one of the words of my profession <laughs> in the title, um, it is a much more uh, human aspect sort of of IT development. Um, so I was looking into um, Kent State's online user experience design um, program because it just sort of fits. Because um, it's just, for me, it's humanizing a lot of website and application interactions and just try to kind of getting to the meat of what users really want from something and also like what are their pain points, what they don't like, and actually kind of getting to um, get down to more of the design elements that are really fun when you're sort of starting to build out any sort of e-learning course or anything where you're actually getting to talk with people before you're sitting for hours trying to make a single interaction work. Um, it's much more of that work where you're getting to um, sort of wireframe and like make prototypes of things um, and get to do more of sometimes visual aspects to it. Other times it could just be researching um, who you're going to be building something for, what they really don't like about the current process or what they want from a new um, application. So it just, it satisf satisfies a lot of the creative problem solving elements that kind of push into learning development professions. Yeah, for sure. So could you give me an example of just from like your own experience, like a good example of a user experience and a bad example? Um, I think a good example um, would probably be something that is, oh man, I don't want to name drop here. <laughs> something. So a, a good example not. would be, um, if you're going through any sort of application, it could be even like a desktop application, let's say, and it's intuitive. Um, like when you're going through, they'll, they'll have their tutorial, but you're not really having to go back through as far as the pathways to gain something done are pretty linear um, and they're aesthetically pleasing. So like something I really like is drag and drop features that actually work where it's things where you're not having to necessarily like right click into something like you see the preview of it, you can pull it over it works um, and you don't have to think about it much more. Um, so the, the taking the sort of like common settings that you know everyone's going to use anyway and making those the default um, and not having too much chaff kind of in the mix. Um, I think a bad design is um, something that is 
just busy, I guess, like not minimalistic. Like there's a lot of details around and it, it can be, we've all sort of fallen into it. I think at some point in our journey with design, we're like, Oh, well, these are the 14 things they definitely need. We're going to have these definitely available. Um, when in reality, um, there's probably only about five of those someone might actually use. And you can put those in a sub menu somewhere where if they really need to, it's still in there, they can dig. Um, but I think bad design would be just overcomplicating it and making there a lot of steps to get to a single thing. Um, to put it in my current role, it would be if there's a lot of clicks. Um, that is probably sure. one of the biggest complaints is, okay, well, it took me 10 clicks to get here and I work eight hours and that was a five minute process. So how long is this going to take me? Then you put in like load times for if you're hiding things in more areas and more things, making everything slower. Um, and of course, just not aesthetically pleasing. Cause I mean, busy things are hard to deal with. <laughs> like, at least for me yeah. personally, I, I, less is more, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if you've ever read the book, um, by Don Norman design of everyday things, Mm-mm. but it's all about like, just bad design and like bad user experience. So, you know, like the the push doors that you can't actually open because they run into something or, you know, like just the things that you see in everyday life. One thing that drives me nuts is like, you mentioned a desktop application, but like something that isn't friendly switching back and forth between desktop and mobile. And I can't tell you how many big companies where it's like, okay, I usually access this on my desktop, but right now I'm on my mobile and I still want to do the same features and functionality and it's not there right? or it's glitchy or it's slow or it's like, why isn't this, why is half of my screen cut off? You know? Right. And so it's very, that's, it's always interesting to me how much we don't consider the user experience and how, yeah. you know, I, working with software developers and working with them throughout my career, like they're just so focused on getting something functional, which is great. Mm-hmm. But like they do need that other person to come in and be like, okay, yes, this is functional, but it's super inconvenient for the end user. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, I feel like it's hard to sort of balance, well, this is the function we wanted. And then also I feel like some of design elements um, are less utilitarian, right? Whereas, yes, this works, but do we need this here? Um Cause I mean, we're all sort of transient, like in today's society where we don't necessarily have to be on our computer to do work that requires the same type of quality and, and speed. Yeah. And so it's even like the idea of, I think something that'll probably be difficult when I get into it, if I'm ever working with mobile applications is, okay, what do you sacrifice to make it fit? Um, are there menus that need to go away? Are there features that need to go away um, to make it run correctly? And like, make it like, okay, well, we know we have this huge menu, but mobile, we can fit five and it won't be too bad. Like right. what are the five? Um, and it, it's so funny because so much of this like idealized, because it's just one of those things where like, even in education, like going for a major in education, I'm like, this is how I'll do things. I'm sure I'm going to get like 18 hours into the coursework and just be like, man, <laughs> I had a misunderstanding oh, entirely. For sure, for sure. It's like the people who like 
it's their first time with like one of the e-learning authoring tools and they want to put every layer and use every mm-hmm. type of interaction and every button because they're just so excited. And then like the end product is like, this is unusable. Because oh yeah. There's way too much going on. And like you said, all the clicks and all the, yeah. Trying to make an advanced action. And you're like, you know what, this is going to be easy. I'm going to do a bunch of if then statements. And then you're, uh, I'm not speaking from experience or anything. You're, you're five days from <laughs> publishing and everything breaks. And you're like, maybe, maybe it was too much. <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe it was too much. Yeah. No, that's totally true. And I think that, um, you know, the other thing that I've seen now that my current role is more focused on software, I've seen a lot of people train software who don't have like an L&D background where they just like go top to bottom, left to right and show you what every little thing on the screen does. Mm-hmm. And it's like so intense and it's way too much. And you're like, whoa, I, I can't retain all of this. And so like one of the things that I read was like, spend your time, spend 80% of your training on the 20% of things that they're going to use every day. Mm-hmm. And then just lightly touch on everything else. And that's how I feel like, that's what I feel like one of the connections is, right? Is like that mm-hmm. idea of focus on what's important and think about your end user, which for instructional designers, that's our learner. And I feel like our field is becoming a lot more learner centered, which is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely good. And I, I've seen the same exact thing with systems training as far as it's it's the I can, but should I, right? Like I could tell you right. the eight different ways to finish a process. Or we could, for like user experience design, like I could build out eight different pathways to get to the same thing, but so that you can access at any point, but sh- should we, right? Like, is this, is this too much? Um, like, are we just like doing it for the sake of that we can? Uh, type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you, because so as you probably know, there are a lot of teachers who Mm -hmm. are trying to get into L&D right now. I think the pandemic really kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of people who are kind of like, "Mm, I'm not really sure this is the right career for me. And so typically what I see happen with the organization that I volunteer with is that they just like immediately go to instructional design because like that's what all of like the marketing materials or you know the academies out there are telling them to do but it's not a good fit for everybody and I'm Mm -hmm. always asking people and meeting with people and saying like what aspects of teaching did you like and so I'm curious what aspects of teaching and your background in education really help you in the UX world? I think a lot of it is, and it's one of those things that like, you can't necessarily necessarily teach. It's like the thing you sort of learn is you're like kind of having to be in the room with folks. Yeah. Um, one of the big things that I saw that kind of was actually what kind of motivated me to apply is talking about like how much like empathy and um, problem solving kind of comes into it. And anyone that's worked in a classroom um, definitely knows that there's a lot of that that is necessary for anything to be even remotely successful. Um, So I think a lot of the soft skills of just being able to sort of read a room is kind of what Mm -hmm. I think will be most important. Because the one thing that I've seen when I've been trying to teach myself, like, what actually is this field is they're talking about being like a neutral observer um, when you're doing a lot of your questioning and like 
not being able to sort of give away what you're thinking, which with working with high schoolers, especially, I feel like I had to be a neutral observer a lot because especially like with the schools I was working in, there's a lot of things going on in my students' lives that like I had no personal experience with. I'm not even going to pretend like I have a personal experience with. And so there's no, not that judgment is ever appropriate, but there's not even like an appropriate level of judgment for me putting a value statement to anything that's going on. Um, So I think that is something that is really invaluable um, to this career path and also just the the whole mantra for teachers is like beg, steal, borrow, right? Like when you're looking for resources because the budget's never enough, the time's never enough. Um, if you're lucky, you have enough parent involvement. If you're not, then okay, how do you how do you supplement that? Um, I think that will be kind of that sort of scrappiness <laughs> is kind of something that fits because yeah. it's it's a really big. I don't think people realize it in the moment. That is a huge critical thinking problem solving mindset where you're constantly just like assuming you don't have so you are always having to kind of like be a little innovative with what you do have and use things in ways that they're not necessarily supposed to be used but um are definitely going to help and kind of give you an edge as far as just being agile with um solutions yeah absolutely and i think also to that point you know, being able to find inspiration from others, you know, like mm-hmm. you do when creating lesson plans and whatever, you know, like, let's be real, probably a majority of UX designers aren't gonna like, come up with the groundbreaking new way to design right. a web page or something, you know, you're going off of best practices that you see mm-hmm that you use in your everyday life. That's another similarity that you have between instructional design that I'm always trying to push on people. It's like, how do your learners learn when they're not at work? Right. And like replicate that because that's the way people like to consume their information. It's the same with UX design. It's like, what apps, what games, what, how are people interacting with media and technology outside of work? okay, now replicate that for the best experience because they're already going to know how to use those things. It's going to be more intuitive. Yeah, and it's like the ego crush of um, knowing that you're not going to create the groundbreaking thing. Like you're not going to do the thing. <laughs> People are like, I've never seen this before because like we 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 gravitate towards things that we always like. You know yes. what I mean? Like yeah. the type of video games I play are... I don't think there's any surprises. Like if you look at the, however many years I've been playing, it's like, that makes sense. Those are things that you like. Like there's very rarely, like, I'm not going to go to play like, I don't know, like a card playing game that is digital because that's something I've never gotten into. So if someone's like, Hey, you like this franchise. What if we did this? I'm going to say, thanks. I hate it. Um, And I think there's a lot of that with instructional design, which I know I made that mistake early on where I'm like, I'm going to reinvent this when it's like, you don't necessarily have to just be more approachable than A, B, and C, um, which involves thinking that your ideas aren't necessarily going to be like top tier, like this is where you need to be. And I think with um, some probably more uh, ambitious folks in designing like web design and everything, I'm sure they've experienced the same thing. They're like, but what if it did this? It's like, but what if it didn't though? (laughs) <laughs> and we did something else that we know works. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with like the tried and true methods. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. It, Absolutely. Just sometimes, sometimes people think that the methods are tried and true and they're not necessarily. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. when it becomes the issue. Yeah. So tell me about... I'm sure you've identified a few as you kind of get ready to to start your program, but tell me about some of like the skill gaps that you're anticipating that you're going to need to close in order to make the switch from maybe from both teaching and instructional design to UX. Yeah, I think um, I was just talking with my wife about this yesterday. Um, I think definitely just like the tech side of development and everything of kind of like, understanding more of that world like I have a very like I sit around and my brother and my dad talk about it understanding of a lot of software development where I'm aware of a lot of it I know it exists um, but as far as like working within some of the frameworks of what that means as far as the development cycle and everything um, I have all of like the soft and squishy character traits but a lot of the tech stuff like I'm a little more literate than a lot of people but I know I'm a lot less literate than, than a lot um, as far as like data analytics concerning um, why you do something in an application. Like I know it from like being able to assess as a teacher and an L and D professional, like I know how to assess a learning program and like, Mm -hmm. was this successful? Was this not? I know those metrics. I have no idea the type of metrics that they're going to require me to learn. And also just um, there's a lot of UX fundamentals. Like when I'm looking through the coursework, there's a lot of like fundamentals of user experience design. I'm just sort of like, I know the fundamentals of teaching, like all of like Pavlov's hierarchies and needs and everything. And Bloom's taxonomy, like those things. Sure. Like I get those. Um, But as far as like, what is like the, the normal things that we can't function without, x y and z type of stuff um so i think a lot a lot of it's just it's sort of like uh it's the imposter syndrome anyone has in a new career right where you're looking of course yeah and especially when you're writing things like goal statements and everything and you're trying to come up with okay what are what are the skills that i have that make this a good switch and then you're staring at the screen you're like nothing (laughs) absolutely nothing um so i think that's how i feel when it comes to tech stuff where it's like i'm good at it but like I know that there's a lot to learn. Sure. Sure. And I think that that's important. I like what you said about like, kind of like the foundational knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like, I feel like sometimes people who are trying to move from teaching to L and D get really stuck and skip that part. They get like, they get distracted by like learning all the sexy tools that you have yeah. to learn to design yeah. instruction. And, you know, it'd be like a UX person being like, Oh my gosh, Figma, you know, and then like ignoring all of the things that like lead up to that. So I think that's important to recognize and realize is that like, just like you had to learn all of these like theories and ways people learn to get into teaching. Mm-hmm. There's also those in other fields that you have to kind of become familiar with if you want to make a career change. Yeah. Cause I think there's a protective element to it too, where you, you want your previous career to feel really validated as you're going through it. And so it's like, it's almost yeah. like a protective thing where it's like, well, I was good enough for teaching. So I'm good enough for this. Or yes. I was good enough for ID. So I'm good enough for this. When it's like, there's a yes and element to it. It's uh-huh. like, yeah, you are. And you do need to put in the work again, 
because this is a new pathway for you. Like, yeah, you're great with adolescents. Are you great with adults? Right. Who knows? Right. And I, I've even compared it to like going from an individual contributor in ID to going to a management position. Like mm-hmm. there were things, there were books I had to read, like the, the, you know, quintessential leadership theory books and the leadership theory that you have to learn and like how to deal with people, how to have difficult conversations. Yeah. Those are all pieces. And that's not even necessarily like, it's not a career change in the sense that we typically think of like moving to a different field, but yeah. there were still things I had to kind of learn and expand on. I'm sure there's aspects you have to let go of. And then there's also aspects that you have to like own more heavily. Like I think, I mean, especially for like creative, like design professionals, I imagine it's so hard to be like, okay, I'm not the one building this, but I have to assess it. But also I have to be respectful of the people who are building it because it's, they're creating it. I imagine that's like really kind of hard Yes, yes. Yeah, Kara North and I were actually talking about that because she recently has become a manager in the last couple years too. Mm -hmm. And she said that one of the hardest things to let go was like, yep, okay, here, you go do the design work now. And she was like, but I want to do it. I'm like, yes, I know, me too. Like, and it's, it's not even so much that like, because part of the reason I wanted to be a manager in the first place is because I didn't want to do the design work all day, every day. Mm hmm. But like, there's still part of that where it's like, well, I could just do it and I'd get it done faster yep. and I know what I have in my head. And it's like, you have to step aside and be like, yes, but this person that I've hired is equally as capable as I am. <laughs> yeah. And that's, so the design element sort of what's pushing me towards UX too, because like uh, the, the field I currently work in, there's a lot of opportunities to be creative and like do things, but it's like, since it's systems training, realistically it is as efficient as possible, which is absolutely what it should be. Like I have no qualms about that, but um, I like the idea of getting in on the ground floor. And like, even if it's not like necessarily like a graphic design type of thing, just kind of getting back to, we have a problem. How do we solve it? Not necessarily like we know how to solve it. We need you to just make the thing that solves it. And we want it X, Y, Z, which I'm sure there's still that with UXD where they're like, Hey, oh sure, we want this to do this. And you're like, I will organize it thusly. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's also like the design work gets fatiguing too. And like different elements, which I think is another like different design work for me. Like I thought about doing management at one point, but I'm like, at this stage, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that <laughs> at this point right now, sure. but good, good, good for you, man. That's awesome. I I've just always been really bossy. And so I figured it was <laughs> time to start leveraging it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like for anyone that does like Enneagram stuff, like I'm Enneagram nine squishy, just like, it's okay, man, do, do your thing. Like, that's cool. <laughs> You could lead like the team building event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll make everyone feel safe and valued Great. in that event. But they'll be like, hey, we really need you to talk to this person about that. I'll be like, you don't though. It's, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure they'll figure it out. I'm sure they got this eventually. Yeah. We, we would not go to Mark for performance conversations. <laughs> Man, I could do it in a way where I make them feel great. And I'm sure I could do a, cu- I could do a couple 
uh, things here and there, but like, I'm sure it would be like a week of me sitting there being like, this is going to be awful. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That is definitely one of the hard parts about it. Yeah. Sure. I like, God bless all of you. Uh, all you folks have to evaluate people constantly. Cause that's, <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. Well, I just have one last question for you. Yeah. And that is, if any of our listeners want to find out more about UX, if they're intrigued by what you've said, what one source or website or video, anything that would you recommend for somebody to kind of just learn more about the field in general? Yeah. Um, so if you just do a handy Google search on what is UXD, um, so Career Foundry actually has really good resources as far as it goes through um all the way back to the BCs, which I think is always interesting when we try and put modern uh, values to stuff people were doing when it was like, hey, I'm a subsistence farmer. But um, but Career Foundry has a really good um, sort of overall timeline of what is UXD, how did it develop, um, what are the different fields? Because within UXD, it's sort of like saying you're an L&D. There are a bunch of different pathways to what you can do. And then also it kind of exposes, because what I got worried about was I didn't want to do a ton of coding. Like if I have to code, fine. But then it was like, oh no, that's user interface design. So if you want to do that, go here. And I was like, oh cool, I'll keep scrolling. But that's good to know. Um, Cause that's like yeah. the other side of UX is those are the people that are doing a lot of like the interface coding and stuff like that. Um, so I think that's a really good research as far as the very good service level. There's like a few video clips and like, uh, yeah, there's an infographic, uh, like pretty much every other scroll that's really um, valuable. And also if you have access to LinkedIn learning, there's a lot of good courses on there that, um, go through the fundamentals and also the different paths, like pretty, uh, intensely as far as like, what is, there's a whole course called like, what is user experience design? Very cool. Um, and it, that, that's a pretty good one. Um, uh, it's not as approachable as this cause you can scroll through and pick and choose, but I mean, it's, it's pretty valuable as well. Yeah. And fun fact about LinkedIn learning, I think if you do a 30 day free trial of like the LinkedIn premium, I don't I don't know if that's exactly what it's called, but mm -hmm. you can get access to LinkedIn learning courses, but you may have access through your local library. Yeah. In fact. Yeah. Um, it might be called lynda.com still, if they're mm -hmm. still still going with the old uh, nomenclature, L-Y-N-D-A. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I always encourage people to check with their local library if they have access to LinkedIn Learning instead of paying for it. So Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for joining me, Mark, and talking to us about Instructional Design's cousin, UX. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, Heidi. Thanks again for joining me on the blog. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and review us on your favorite podcast platform. I hope you'll tune in again soon.